0: The Nail in the Coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Tuesday night. And uh, Trav, we got a, a big sports week here in uh, the great state of Ohio, huh?
1: Yeah, we got one team not really playing for anything, still going to have a noteworthy game. And then uh, another team playing for a lot that should have a very noteworthy game. Yeah, we will get into LeBron returning to Cleveland and
0: uh, facing the Cavs uh, in a little bit. But first, uh, we got to talk Ohio State, Michigan uh, for all the marbles in the Big Ten uh, East and uh, to help us get ready for it. Uh, Very excited to have, once again, joining us, Bill Bender from the uh, Sporting News. Bill, how are you, man? I'm doing
2: well. Yeah, it's a fun week. Should be a fun game. And obviously, like Trav said, this is going to be for all, you know, for the Big Ten East for a little bit more, I think, perception-wise. And as I say, when both sides are confident and worried at the same time, which I know both sides are, you know, it's probably going to be a pretty special game.
0: I'm just going to start it off by saying this. We need a special game because, I I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I feel like this college football season as a whole has not been uh, as fun, I feel like, as uh, a lot of past years. I just, you know, you normally get a lot of upsets around this time of the year. Teams jumping each other in the polls, and uh, there's just been no chaos, it feels like, this month. No, I mean, yeah, yeah,
2: and, and I think part of that is, you know, to for lack of a better phrase, I mean, there there is an elephant in college football, and they've kind of sucked the energy out of the entire season. Um, I often make the joke that the season hasn't started till Alabama loses, and this season may not start, and next season may not start because they they are that good. I saw them down at Tennessee, um, best quarterback in the country, best team in the country, and When when I'm getting Slack messages at halftime of Citadel saying, are you ready to write something if they lose? I I just ignored them because this is what this team is.
3: (laughs) All right. I I think we all
1: saw that coming. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all saw that coming though. I mean, I don't know if we necessarily saw them being tied at halftime, but uh, those weird triple option teams always show up once or twice a year where they give someone a headache. I don't think anyone thought, that the second half of that game would look any different than it did. We also figured, okay, they'll go into the locker room, get readjusted, come out and beat the hell out of them, and that's exactly what happened.
2: Well, and, and yeah, and we saw the rankings tonight, and I think the the story right now, with two weeks to go, is really who's getting the four spot because I think Alabama's a virtual lock because um, because they are going to beat Auburn and. I think they're going to handle Georgia, and I guess the only wrinkle of drama is if Georgia somehow beats them. Um, Clemson's not going to lose. They're they're not going to lose this weekend. They're not going to lose next weekend. I don't think Notre Dame's going to lose. I guess if you want to – we can talk about USC maybe beating them, but I don't think it's going to happen, and I think they're in. And then it just comes down to the Big Ten champion versus – you know, Oklahoma, Washington state, or UCF, I guess that's really the the board we're looking at. And I, I, like Tom said, I mean, I think I was at the most dramatic game of the season this year and that was Penn state, Ohio state. And, and that game changed in the last eight minutes.
0: All right. So if you've got all these teams that are kind of maybe in the mix for that fourth spot, I, I have to still ask like how much drama is there in that if the prize for winning that fourth spot is knowing that you're probably going to get turned into fertilizer by Alabama in the Cotton Bowl in a few weeks
2: Well I still I still think you'd really want to get there I I've heard I saw a you know I follow a lot of Ohio State Michigan Big 10 fans on Twitter obviously and uh I saw some Ohio State fans debating whether it would be better to go to a Rose Bowl or go to the playoff. And my answer to that is it's always better to go to the playoffs because recruits see that. And if Alabama beat you by 21, so be it. But I, I think a lot of people thought Alabama would beat Ohio state by 21 or 28 or whatever the score was the last time they hooked up and that didn't happen. So, I mean, I, I get it. I understand that logic on some level, but if it's me, just in, Tom, you've known me long enough. I always want to see where, where we stack up, no matter what level it is. Um, that's how it is. So uh, I, I think Ohio State still has that opportunity, despite what the rankings say. Um, but I'll be honest with you guys. If we're If we're talking outside of the top four right now, like outside of who's currently ranked in the top four, I actually think the most deserving team might be Washington State, based on how they're playing right now.
0: They uh they put on a show on Saturday night. They were they were pretty impressive and uh, piled it on there late in the first half. I was at a party with some friends and had that in the background, and I kind of thought they were just gonna, you know, go quietly there at the end of the second quarter, and they're airing it out. So I, I guess style points still count for something here.
2: Well, I'm I, and I don't know that they'd beat Ohio State if they played them in the Rose Bowl. I think it'd be a fun game. Um, right now, you see it. There's this. The way the board looks, like I said, is you got the top four. And, and right until Saturday at noon, the top four, those have been the four best teams this, this year. And, and I don't think there's much room for debate as it stands now. And Michigan has earned their spot. They've been the most consistent Big Ten team. Um, George's pretty good. Georgia's really good. They're balanced, but they also got destroyed at LSU. So I think after five, you have this clump of – UCF, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Washington State, any one of those teams, including, I guess UCF would be a long shot, could get that fourth spot, but all four of those teams, to me, kind of share the same MO. They're very good offensively. They all have very good quarterbacks. They can score a ton of points, but you know, whether it's Ohio State against Purdue or UCF against Temple or, I mean, Oklahoma gave up 40 points to Kansas last week, And and I'm a fan of offense. I get it, but you've got to be able to get some stops at some point.
0: Trev, you've been watching Ohio State every week. This Ohio State offense, a a lot different, I feel like, this year from what we've seen in the past, and especially with the the different skill set that Dwayne Haskins has versus maybe some past quarterbacks at Ohio State, uh, especially under Urban Meyer.
1: Yeah, and it's one of the things that, while it's, it's resulted in a ton of points and they're the number two offense in the country and they put up a ton of yards and they, and, you know, they score a lot every game. Um, the change of style has sort of, I think personally, it's probably been the biggest issue that early in the season, we had them um, just struggling mightily in the red zone because they've relied so much in the past. They had four years of JT Barrett where if you knew if they got down within the 20, he was going to get you four or five yards on any down, you know, just with that draw up the middle. They've done that religiously over the last few years. They had Braxton Miller before him. So that's, they've always had that element of it. um, And they haven't used it at all. We saw it a little bit last week um, against Maryland with Dwayne Haskins, but I think personally that was the biggest reason they struggled so much in the red zone early in the season. And I'm hoping that last week sort of um, showed them, Hey, cause I honestly thought Haskins looked pretty solid running the ball. Like when he tucked it and ran last week, I, I, I was sort of sitting there scratching my head like, well, why haven't we done that at all earlier this year? Um, he's clearly got a hell of an arm. He's great at throwing the ball downfield and everything, but it's one of those elements that they just sort of ignored for, for whatever reason, I think. And, and hopefully last week, woke him up a little bit but um the offense isn't anywhere near uh isn't very high on my list of concerns let's put it that way
0: okay so I, I think I know it is high on your list of concerns um w- where do we begin with the Ohio State defense this year and Bill they I'd be curious tackle. to get your- <laughs> okay that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of problematic um but uh yeah if you want to expound on that a bit and Bill I'm uh, curious to get your two cents on the Ohio State defense as well well,
2: I think personally. The- yeah. No, go ahead, go. Ahead. no, no go you ahead, go. go. You go first. <laughs> All
1: right. The, the biggest thing I think, thing the, I, I think thing. <laughs> the biggest thing that stood out to me, a, the loss of Joey Bosa has hurt them, and, and it's sort of an easy scapegoat because they're so deep on the defensive line that people will say, oh, they should be able to overcome it. Early in the season, uh, did I say Nick Joey? Bosa. I meant I yeah. meant Nick. Yeah. Okay. So Nick Bosa, obviously his injury. Early in the season, he was getting doubled every single down, and that made Chase Young's job really easy. Chase Young is an incredible player, obviously. When he's he's the second biggest threat on the line, it makes his job easy, and it makes literally everybody else's job easy because Bosa was still wreaking havoc even when he was getting double teamed. Well, now that that double team has shifted a lot over to um, Chase Young's side, it's made whoever's playing opposite him um, need to do more, and I just don't know that those guys are quite ready for it yet um draymond jones has been great in the middle um robert landers has been really good at times um but truthfully the defensive line is is the least of my worries that this is i don't know if it's coaching or talent but this is the worst i can recall ohio state linebackers looking as a unit in i don't know 20 years and and it might even be longer than that i've never seen guys that were so out of position, um, took terrible, you know, lines to get guys were bad tacklers. They don't seem, honestly, they don't seem like they do anything that well. Um, and like I said, I don't know if it's tackling or talent, but, um, if I'm Karan Higdon in, in Michigan, I'm, I can't wait to go against them and get into the second level this week and see, um, and try my chances there. Cause I, I think it's, has the potential to be a very long and embarrassing day for them just like it was last week.
3: Well,
2: it, i I think it's the big plays. And that, that I was at the Oregon State game to start the season and, you know, that was a blowout at halftime. And then in the second half you were like, Well, why is this dude for Oregon State getting these long runs? And you kind of excused it as, well, Bose is out and Draymond Jones didn't really play and then but but I will say this and this is what makes this game to me so intriguing this weekend on both fronts because, and we can talk about the defense first. So the two offenses that shredded Ohio state were Purdue and Maryland and Michigan's offense is nothing like either one of those teams. They're quick hit angle runs, get to the second level as quickly as possible. Whereas Michigan's more of a, their running plays are a little more slowly developing Um and the one concern I'd have on that end for if, for Michigan side is how aggressive is Jim Harbaugh's play calling going to be? He was very, very tentative in the red zone against Indiana last week. And that's one side of it. And then the other side would be what Ohio State does well offensively, matches up pretty decently with Michigan if they get the protection. Um, because Indiana had a lot of success on crossing routes, quick hitters across the middle, offset that blitz pressure and I think Haskins can do that and if you look back at last year's game obviously he did do that I I think the biggest stat I took away from last year's game was on third down Dwayne Haskins was three of four for 80 yards and he hit three big passes two of them to K.J. Hill one to Mac and if he does that they're going to be fine so it's kind of Tom Trav it's kind of like what Michigan does well offensively uh or Ohio State Their their weaknesses defensively might be offset a little bit, and their strengths offensively could show up. But then again, you have to protect against this Michigan defensive line. They're really good. Um, And the one thing Ohio State has done in this game the last three years that I think they might struggle with a little more this time is running the football. I think Michigan's a little bit better on the run defense side this time around.
0: Yeah, Bill, I was actually going to ask you about that, and, and you've kind of started to get into it here. But just broadly speaking with Michigan, this seems like uh, uh, the best team that uh, Harbaugh's had, uh, if not the outright best, uh, certainly in the mix, and one of the best Michigan teams we've seen in a while. Uh, what else have you seen from them that has kind of separated them from what we've seen uh, out of the Wolverines in the last couple of years and, and what should look different to them? Um, for Ohio State fans this weekend?
2: Well, they're playing with an edge. You know, they, they lost a game at Notre Dame where they looked like the same Michigan team from last year, where they couldn't run the football in a big game. They couldn't get pressure early on Brandon Wimbush. They lose the safety to a targeting call, and it spun out of control on the road. And and they have been inconsistent on the road. You know, they they dumped a – they had to rally back from 17 against Northwestern. They They started – they didn't really start slow against Michigan State. That was more just like two teams throwing rocks for two quarters before Michigan kind of just took over. Michigan was just better than Michigan State this year. That that And that hadn't been the case. I think that game was a turning point for them, too, because they're playing with an arrogance. They're playing with, you know, Jim Harbaugh's been a little more combative I guess. I you know, we can get into Karan Higdon's guarantee, but I honestly think that was a reporter leading him, and I
1: didn't. Yeah, I that kind wasn't of really a guarantee. <laughs> right. As far as guarantees uh... go, that was pretty weak.
2: Yeah, and I and I made the joke on Twitter, you know, that I, I generally subscribe to the Tommy Boy philosophy on guarantees, that you know, and you know the skit from from that movie. I don't. I just don't really buy into them at all because. You know, that's not going to make Ohio State play any harder unless it was an outright disrespectful comment toward Ohio State, which it wasn't. Um, But they're, they're good. And, you know, obviously the history of this rivalry is what it is. And Ohio State, they have to overcome some things. And like I said, some of this is on Harbaugh because the last time they played in Columbus, Michigan also was good enough to win that game. And I think a lot of the reason why they lost was they got really conservative in the second half and allowed Ohio State and Barrett to really take over the game?
0: Trav, you buying that?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. I I don't I I I think if you watch that game, yeah, it was in, it went into overtime and they were, you know, Michigan was six inches away from winning that game. Um, so it, it yeah, they definitely were good enough and I agree they were they were behind and as an Ohio State fan watching that game, it was sort of driving me crazy because Michigan, I think for the, at least that would have been what 2016, I think they outplayed them. I think Michigan outplayed Ohio state, despite the final score um, for, for stretches. And I think Bill's right on. The reason they lost that game is they sort of changed the way that they played in the second half. They played different with a lead than they did when they were, you know, really out there being aggressive. And, and, I don't necessarily expect to see the same mistakes or I don't know if that I'll call it a mistake. I don't expect to see the same mistake from Michigan this time around. And I think if you're Ohio state, you have to come out. And the biggest thing, um, Bill sort of alluded to it earlier, the big plays, um, have been brutal this year, um, almost across the board in nearly every game. Um, and, coming out sort of slow like even against teams that they're better than they sort of come out and they're a little lethargic and and they're not up for it um i don't anticipate that being the case this week um i don't know about the big play part but i i have to imagine that the players are going to come out pretty amped up and ready to play um at noon on saturday
2: yeah and and another thing the first quarter is going to be so key because the last let me get this make sure i get this right so the last two meetings 16 and 17, Ohio State struggled offensively early. I mean, last year Michigan jumped on them quickly, and then Barrett had the touchdown drive, and they settled in a little bit. And, you know, it does take – it might take a quarter to adjust to – I want to see who – I guess – and and Trav would know this too because he's watched so much Ohio State. I want to see who wins the first quarter chess match in terms of does Don Brown have to adjust to – Dwayne Haskins arm because this is the best quarterback Michigan's seen all season by far especially with how he can throw the ball down the field versus how does Ohio State and Ryan Day and Wilson and Urban have to adjust to what kind of pressure is coming from Michigan like how does Michigan play it in terms of they're good up front they're good at defensive end we know that I mean Rashawn Gary's awesome and Winovich I think he'll play but that's where I'm. That's probably the, the most interesting dynamic of this game to me is is Haskins versus that front seven.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. Um, I assume you've watched a fair amount of Ohio State, Bill. Their offensive line has obviously pretty, looked pretty suspect at times. I think the biggest thing they're going to have to do, especially you're right on first quarter is going to be huge. The first thing they're going to have to do is I think they're going to want to run a lot of sort of those quick – um ball mm-hmm. uh, out of Haskins hands early right get it into Paris Campbell's hands KJ Hill's hands guys like that out in space let them make some plays and maybe even play a little bit of a field position game um because I don't know that the offensive line is going to be able to hold up and give him a whole bunch of time to really air it out and go downfield with it now he can definitely do that but I don't know that I I necessarily see uh the offensive line giving him the opportunity to- so I want to see And they sort of with it last week, they didn't really get the ball in the Paris Campbell's hands early in the game at all last week. And that was one of the things I think is maddening. Cause I think he's, you know, one of the, one of the best guys in the country out in space and, and a pretty damn dangerous weapon that they haven't done a great job of utilizing.
2: Right. And, 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 you know, along with that too, that, that just, we'll see how they run the football as well, because I, I I've broken down this game so many years and, uh, it, it it really does spin back to the ground game because Michigan's going to need to re- establish that. They have not run the ball well against Ohio State in a long time with a running back. I'm not talking about Denard Robinson or, you know, Devin Gardner for that matter. An actual running back hasn't run the ball well in this game in a long time. And uh, on the other end, you know, I, I think Ohio State needs, whether or not Mike Weber plays is a question. Uh, it sounds like he is. His, his Twitter feed appears to be like he probably will. <laughs> but again, I don't Yeah, it sounds like I, he
1: is. Um I was a little I was actually thinking last week during the game that they were maybe taking Maryland a little lightly and were just giving him a week off to make sure he was at a hundred percent. Um but I also thought Demario McCall looked pretty good last week in, in the yeah. sparing chances he got. They they rode JK Dobbins as much as they possibly could. Right.
2: Yeah, and then, you know, like I said, on the other end, um it is Haskins game along. I, I do think in a way this is Shea Patterson's game because I, I always pull out this stat this time of year that, that Ohio state fans have to love is that the last Michigan quarterback to win in, in Ohio stadium was drew Henson in 2000. And if you go back and look at that box score, which I did, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd Carr turned him loose in that game because it was the same kind of story. Like they, they, kinda of held Drew Henson back a little bit and he uh in that game he had three hundred some yards. He I think he scored a touchdown late. That was the end of the Cooper era, but it was still a tight game. And I think they have to turn Shea Patterson loose a little bit and let him throw the ball down the field. And if they don't, and if they play the and you'll know early, you'll have a sense early for how Harbaugh's playing it. Um if Michigan's overly conservative, Ohio State's gonna hang around in this game and we're gonna have a really one of those, like I said, the the best part about the 16 game, and sorry for being so long-winded about this, but the best part of the 16 game was that you, you were on the edge of your seat every single play. And if Michigan is too conservative in the first half, I feel like we're going to be doing the same thing this year.
1: And who do you think that favors, Bill? Well, if it gets into the
2: second half, I think Michigan can tighten up. If Michigan gets off to a fast start and it's, Ohio State's playing. If Michigan's playing from from ahead early, they'll be they'll be in control of this game, and I think it'll be hard for Ohio State to, you know, come back. Basically, I don't. I'll put it to you this way: when Ohio State was down 12 to Penn State, I wasn't quite ready to write yet with eight minutes left. If they're down 12 to, to Michigan with eight minutes left, it's going to be very difficult to come back from that.
1: Sure. Would you think it's fa- think it's fair to say, at least from my point of view, it, it seems to me if if one team though is capable of um, if one, I think if one team is capable of coming from behind, it's going to be Ohio State. Um, if they're down, you know, like you said, twelve twelve with eight minutes, you are not going to score that quickly. But if they're down twelve at halftime, I think it's far more likely that you see an Ohio State team come from twelve down than you right. were to see maybe a Michigan team come from twelve down
2: just because totally of how explosive agree.
1: their offense can be.
2: I totally agree because Michigan, it was when they played Northwestern earlier this year, they were down 17, nothing after a quarter. And it was a four quarter process to come back from that. And, and, it, and it, because their offense was again on the road, inconsistent, not playing aggressive early, their run game can be predictable. And it'll be interesting if how Ohio state plays that and adjust to that. And, uh, you know, I mean, well, if you look at their run game, it's Karon Higdon. A lot of Karon Higdon tackle when it's third and short instead of, you know, Ohio State. High State used to be really predictable on third and one with Barrett, but he would get the first down. Michigan's really predictable on third and one. They give it to a 270-pound fullback up the middle. So I, I think those are some things to watch as well. And um, who breaks some tendencies early? That always happens in a rivalry game. But And, and then I always go on this game – On The one thing I do take from the press conferences, and I don't take much from them, is I kind of try to read the coach's behavior, and I thought it was pretty even in terms of Urban. Urban wasn't like uh, a lot's been made about his body language in the last few weeks. He was fine. I mean, he's anxious to coach another big game, and he's really good at it. And I thought Harbaugh was fine. He was probably even more so. In past years, Harbaugh would be like, this is just another game. I don't have a pie chart. This year he was pretty over the top about, you know, of course this isn't just a game. This is our lives and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, their answers were actually comparable. And you know, that's why I think they're two you – know, regardless of what happens in this game, I think they're two of the best coaches in college football. And I, I see no reason why either one of them – neither – they, they I, I want them to both be on the sideline as long as possible because it's pretty fun watching these games.
1: All right. So, okay. So I think you just answered my next question real quick. Um, while we're on the subject, how important do you think this game really is though to Jim Harbaugh, not Jim Harbaugh personally, but to his, um, I don't know, to his future or anything along those. Cause I think that's being sort of played up quite a bit and I'm not totally sure I buy into that. I think you should still be pretty damn safe looking at what they've done this mm-hmm. year. I don't think it should all rest on one game, but how much do you think, Um, in the grand scheme, it matters for his, uh, perception.
2: I think it's the word I would use is, and I talked to Joel clad about this this week and he had, he had some, we were kind of in agreement. So my editor asked me earlier this week, if he would get fired, if they lost. And I said, there's 0% chance of that. So we can start off there. Um, and then I said, it would increase the pressure. I mean, it would start to feel a little bit like the back half of the wood car era. Where Michigan was very good under Lloyd Carr. But the worst thing that happened to Lloyd Carr was Jim Trestle because Jim Trestle and Lloyd Carr were so similar in how they coached. But when they got in that game, Jim Trestle was just one or two plays better. And it bared out. I mean, whether it was 05 on the comeback, um, the 06 game came down to two, three plays. Um, you know, Trestle was just better in that game. He was, I actually think in my lifetime, Jim Trestle was the best in-game coach in the Michigan-Ohio State game that I've ever seen. And you guys can feel free to disagree with me on that. But in terms of like how he attacked that game from a game, X's and O's standpoint, I'm not sure anybody's ever done it better.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's hard to argue yeah. when you look at sort of the results. Those teams weren't, you look at his record against him, you say, oh, they must have just been way better. They were at the end of his run, but for the first six or seven years they were pretty dead even. That's
2: what I'm saying. Yeah, like they were
1: Michigan was good then. They were they like when
2: he took over, there was I think the last time I think Kyle Rowland tweeted this. Kyle's a good friend of mine. Um that the last time Ohio State or Michigan was favored in Ohio State was four. And that game, Michigan won the Big Ten, and Ohio State destroyed them. <laughs> I mean, and, and and it was because they were so aggressive early. I think that game, and and man, you guys are going to go look at these films and correct me, but I think like right off the go, Troy Smith hit Anthony Gonzalez for a touchdown, and they were just off. It was crazy how how well they played, and uh, but but that's a again back to Harbaugh. I think he's fine, but it would be there would be a frustration because I think in general, just reading between the lines, um, that this is the one that, that if the Michigan side of it, they they probably feel like this is the first time in a while that they should win the game. They are favored. They, they've been the more consistent team. Now that doesn't always matter in this game. And if they lose, there will be a, a level of frustration. On the Ohio State side, I feel like if they lose, most of the focus is going to be on, What's next for Urban Meyer when I firmly believe that unless it's a serious health issue that would prevent him from coaching at Ohio State next year, that is the only way he's not on the sideline. And I'm and I'm not going to speculate to you two guys on another person's health when all we have to go on it is how he looks on the sideline. Is that fair? I don't know if it is.
1: No, I, I don't. I don't have any interest in, in guessing how healthy Urban Meyer is. Right. He looks and, like and he's had a
0: rough go of it though. I mean the the you know, I, I'm not gonna get into speculating or anything like that, but it, it does seem like this has been a stressful year and I mean I think to a certain degree that's that's understandable. I mean it was a pretty rough summer uh down in Columbus and uh yeah, um I don't know. I'll I'll leave it at that.
2: Right. And um Yeah, but I, I think I, I just don't see a reason why other than I mean, they served the suspension. I was there for all the, uh was a wild August, obviously, that we don't have to rehash all that. But I, I think at the end of it, 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 again, it comes down to this, guys, that it, it doesn't ma- matter how you got here. The point is you got there. And, and I forget what movie that's from, but um, Michigan and Ohio State both got here at 10 and 1. The stage is what it should be. And uh, like I said at the top, I, I think there's reasons for both sides to be confident. There's reasons for both sides to be worried. And, and and to me, it adds up to a really close game. And I know our, my time's running short with you guys. Um, I, I did pick Michigan to win. I, I picked them to win by five, um, 31-26, like right on the spread. But, again, I, I would not take much stock in that prediction because I think it's going to be right on that line is how I would put it. So Michigan's either going to win by four or five, or Ohio State scores the next touchdown, wins by three. Either way, I think that's how it's going to go.
0: Well, just for historical purposes here, uh, Ohio State is a a four-and-a-half-point underdog. It was the last line I saw. This is the first time they're an underdog in any game since the national championship game against Oregon. Uh, First time they're an underdog at home since 2011 versus Wisconsin, and the first time they've been an underdog at home versus Michigan since 2004, and – for the record they won all three of those games so um if you're a Buckeye fan I guess you can uh point to those numbers and uh feel good about that at least but uh Bill I know you got to get running uh thank you so much for mm-hmm. taking the time I know it's a uh super busy week no. for you here no I mean and for me this week
2: just to getting on as many radio stations in Ohio as you saw on my Facebook page I went over to I'd have to tell you this quick story I, I, I did my uh with my daughter's preschool class and we talked about rivalry week and the importance of michigan and ohio state and uh journalism and i i gave this like 15 minute spiel and you know it was like woody hayes schimbeckler type stuff and getting all emotional about it and then i I go get done with these five-year-olds and i say you know does anybody have any questions and a kid raises his hand i'm like yeah and he goes he goes how fast do motorcycles go (laughs) (laughs) clearly i made a dent here and uh you know, my daughter was real happy about it. But you know, and and above everything, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, happy Thanksgiving! Enjoy the game, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can talk soon about uh you know something else in the off season. I know, I know, I'll be watching the Browns and Cavs
1: as well. Sounds hey, Bill, great. real quick, um, mm-hmm. are you going to be on any Cleveland or Columbus radio this week that I should look for? I know every once in a while you're yeah. on ninety two three, and I always enjoy it. Yeah, up Yeah, but...
2: I'm trying to think. I I do a lot of ninety seven one. And sometimes ninety two three and then Browns daily because I get up to the occasional Browns game and by the way they uh Tom knows I'm this diehard Packers fan and, and they're following the model there. They they uh got the quarterback, you got the GM. I just uh you you need the coach and everything will be okay.
0: Well, we're two thirds of the way there on uh, on that. So all right, Bill. Go ahead. Uh will right. let you, let you talk, go. Thanks. Thanks thanks. Thanks thanks, man. you. Thanks so much. All right. That was Bill Bender of the sporting news. I would definitely encourage you to check out everything he's writing over there. Uh, excellent, uh, college football writer. I always enjoy his stuff and, uh, be sure you're checking out the angry Bender uh, YouTube videos. I think we've mentioned that, uh, on here in the past, uh, when we've had bill on previously, but, uh, those are always, uh, uh, good for a lunch break, uh, two minute, uh, bit of entertainment there. Uh, let's, uh, travel, let's shift gears, uh, big game, uh, coming up on uh, Wednesday night here in Cleveland, probably the last time that the Cavs are going to be uh, in the national spotlight uh, for the foreseeable future. I I hate to say um, LeBron coming back
1: into town. Um, yeah. What a difference. Uh, six months make that this is considered a big game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like in years, in years prior, obviously the reasons this is big is, is completely separate from the last four years. What we've considered big games then, but um, I don't know. Honestly, I think it's being hyped up, and it's not going to be a big deal. I think we'll probably get to it, and fans will be cordial and friendly. It's obviously not going to be anything like it was in 2011, um, or was it 2010? I don't know. 20, whatever the December first year he came of
0: 2010, back, 2010. Yeah, I was the
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I don't think it's it's not going to be anything like that. People will probably cheer him. I heard there's going to be some uh, like a tribute video thing for him and all that bullshit. Um, I. <laughs> I don't know. I I expect that they're probably going to get the shit kicked out of them because they're terrible right now. (laughs) And I don't know that. Honestly, I think the most interesting stuff will happen before the game actually starts.
0: Well, it's already really gotten started. I feel like we've had two big stories this week, uh, the the first two days of this week, back-to-back. Joe Varden and then Jason Lloyd, both with The Athletic. They've kind of been all over the lead-up to this game. We saw Varden's story first. He uh, actually traveled to to go uh, cover the Lakers, uh, more specifically go talk with LeBron uh, ahead of uh, the Lakers trip into Cleveland um, just to kind of do an advance for this this game. And it came out that LeBron basically said that, uh, you know, the Kyrie Irving trade was the beginning of the end. And then Jason Lloyd had the story today on The Athletic that, uh, you know, kind of had J.R. Smith airing. A whole lot of grievances, and by the middle of the day, we found out that JR's future with the Cavs is basically done as far as act, being an active player. They're, they're going to look to work something out to get him out of town, but he's not going to be around the team anymore. Um I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I want to say this. As far as LeBron leaving goes, I'm kind of done with relitigating the minutiae of his departure, how he left, why he left. And, and we, we can relitigate that over and over and over again. And it's just, it, at this point it's done. I mean, and he's none gone. Of It matters. Like who cares? It, right. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and you know what? He played 11 years here and it's done. And if he comes back again, it ain't going to be prime LeBron anymore. It's going to be a victory. No,
1: left. it's not going to be okay, fast career. track to the finals every year. Right. Right.
0: Uh, so, you know, that's that's over. Um, I'm personally more interested in looking at these stories from the past couple of days and figuring out what lessons do we apply from those experiences and, and what we're reading here to the current state of the franchise and the future of the Cavs. And I got to tell you, the recurring theme that I'm seeing in all this is really bothering me because it started with LeBron talking with I think Kobe Altman and it was, you know, don't trade Kyrie, you know, and if you're going to, you know, and definitely don't trade him to the Celtics. Okay. We're not going to do that. And then I think it was like 15 minutes later, the news broke that they had agreed to a deal. And then over the summer, um, you know, or, or I think early in the season, we found out about Kyle Corver's whole deal basic, uh, you know, arrangement with the Cavs when he re-signed in the summer of 2017, understanding, you know, if, if, you know, LeBron leaves next summer um, buy me out or, or trade me and, and let's work something out that summer so that I have time to move my family. And, you know, that time came this summer and it was like, no, we need you. And then he played uh, five minutes in one game and was a DMP at another game by coach's decision in the first three games. And, you know, that's been a mess. Um, J.R. Smith today, you know, put the front office on blast saying that they're tanking and, you know, they're not interested in winning games. And, you know, it's just over and over and over again. You know, it, I mean, another one, Kevin Love, you know, he hasn't said a whole lot. I think he made an appearance on the jump today on ESPN. But, um, you know, I mean, he when he signed his extension over the summer, a big part of that was, you know, that he was told they were going to continue trying to compete Um, whether that was the right decision for them or not. They, they were not tanking. Um, And that very obviously is not where they're at right now. And I think a lot of the elder statesmen of this team feel like they've been lied to and it's, it's a pattern and it's troubling. And, you know, I mean, let's just be honest, you know, Cleveland, you know, I I've lived in Cleveland pretty much my whole life. I I like Cleveland. It's it's fine, but um, as NBA cities go, it's a it's a mid market uh, in a in a cold weather part of the country in a, you know flyover country. It's not a marquee destination for NBA free agents. You know, if you're a team operating you know in a market like this or Indiana or Minnesota, um, M- Milwaukee, you know those types of cities. You know, it's hard to land free agents and if your front office starts getting a reputation of saying one thing and immediately doing another that is really going to make things even harder for you to operate
1: yeah and they're already i mean like you said they're already behind the eight ball they're not they're not really attracting a whole bunch of interest anyways um the only time they've really been able to attract anybody was when they had lebron right so and even then it wasn't a lot of the big names we always heard like, Hey, this, maybe this guy would be a great addition. You know, he'd love to play with LeBron. He'd be great for the Cavs, blah, blah, blah. Those guys never really came through. Um, We never really got those guys. So even when we were really good and going to the finals and competing every year, we struggled. Um, I don't know that this organization generally you're sort of alluding to it. I don't think this organization has a reputation that's going to, that's going to really allow them to be a really good competitive team. not certainly not in the near term.
3: Um, long term, though,
1: who knows? That, that, but it is. Am, am I wrong though?
0: No, no, you're not. Okay, and it's, just, it's disappointing to me because you know I I went back and I dug this up from I think it was it aired like the first you know the the afternoon of the game one of the finals back in June. uh LeBron did a sit down interview and you know he talked about how you know as long as he's here he wants. Cleveland Cavaliers to be viewed as a first class organization and you know be held in high esteem and it really felt like when they brought him back that you know all of the craziness you know and in, in some of the you know the, the dark days prior to his return um and you know just all of the mess that came with that um you know this was going this we had a chance for this to really become a stable franchise. And and there was a path I felt like at one point for there to be a succession plan after LeBron. And I just, it just boggles my mind at how quickly that has come unraveled with David Griffin going, Kyrie wanting out, you know, LeBron leaving and, you know, we're we're, where we are now and you know kobe altman i don't know and how much do you blame him for this is it you know him pulling the strings on this and and saying and telling people what he thinks they want to hear and then you know actually executing what he actually wants to do or is he carrying out the dirty work uh for the guy signing his paychecks
1: i yeah and it's, know which it's, one i believe but i know yeah i, I think don't are probably on the same page about what we think is happening right um because i mean in I, I sort of saw it today and, and it's sort of a good point i guess if if what we both think is true and i think we're both sort of in agreement that he's just doing what his boss wants him to do um if that were the case I don't know. I feel like he would probably be at his wits end by now. Right. And just you know, say, you know what, I don't need this shit. I'm going somewhere else. I'm not, I'm not putting this on my legacy. Um, and on my resume when I need, you know, when eventually you change your mind and I need to go find another job. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. It's hard to really tell, um, hard to really tell what exactly is going on. Cause if you were him and this is, you know, your first real big job, would you want this to be what, what you're tasked with doing, I don't know.
0: It is incredible that say what you want, but in the Dan Gilbert tenure, the Cavs have five finals appearances, a championship, and I don't even know how many division titles, and they've never had a general manager get a second contract.
1: Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> <I mean>. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it sort of goes to the bigger thing. We sort of said it when when Griff was leaving, you know, he he doesn't he being Dan Gilbert um, doesn't really understand how important a GM is because you look at I don't know that and yeah they only won one with LeBron or whatever um, some of the things that David Griffin pulled off were just genius right there's certain we can go back and and relive some of those moves that he made those aren't things that just any guy can come in and do. It's not just a job you can pick up and just plug someone in and they'll be good at it. Um, And it sort of seems like Gilbert doesn't get that. Um, I I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's ever going to change. I don't, I don't anticipate it. would. if it hasn't by now, I wouldn't expect him to, to come around on that, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a weird position they're in because like you said, even when they have a good one they, they don't really seem like they're too inclined to keep them
0: well the other thing that just really scares the hell out of me is you look back starting with you know last summer you know summer of 2017 that is after the finals everything from that point forward uh, every move they made from starting at that point to when lebron left was a hedge Uh, against the possibility of LeBron leaving, because the thing that we heard over and over and over again was that they were not going to allow themselves to be put into the position of being completely caught off guard and completely unprepared for LeBron to leave. I don't know how many moves they could have made last year that would have made a huge difference, but they didn't make those. They, They made moves that were with an eye on the future and the possibility that LeBron is going to be gone after this most recent season that completed. And even hedging like that at every turn imaginable, they're still in this position now.
1: Yeah, you know what's kind of funny is you say that they made these moves to hedge um, on on the chance that LeBron left, right? By hedging, though, they basically guaranteed he was leaving.
0: I, you know, honestly, I, I, I we're, and again, I mean, we could get into, you know, LeBron's departure all we want, but I, and it, oh, sure, I it may not have made they, a difference either way. Yeah, I, I, I think he was gone either way. Um, I, you know, you, you could hear people that, you know, there were whispers that he was already plotting his exit uh, pretty much as soon as they had won a title, even though he signed for another two years. That was like, yeah, this is going to be the last contract here and give him two more years and then he's gone. And, you know, who knows? Um, and, you know, there, there's, I, I think uh, David Griffin even kind of suspected that LeBron was going to be gone. And, you know, at that point, you know, kind of sensing what might be coming from ownership at that point, if LeBron did leave, I think that made the Cavs job a lot less attractive to Griff. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, these guys, you know, th- this front office, this ownership, they were planning for this, they were bracing for this, and puffed out their chests all summer saying, we're going to compete for a playoff spot. And I, it's just, were, were they bullshitting? Or did they really misfire that badly on what they had as a team? And to be
1: fair, I, I yeah, know. Neither it, neither one really instills a whole lot of confidence. No, no. I mean, and, and
0: to give them a little bit of a, a benefit here, I mean, Kevin Love played four games and he was injured in those four that he was playing in. And you know, Jetty's missed some time and George Hill has missed time and Corver's been down for a bit. And um, well, I guess Sam Decker as well for whatever that's worth. So I mean, they they've they've been hit by injuries, and it's not been necessarily the team that they envisioned over the summer, but I, I don't think either one of us believes that we've seen anything that would suggest at any point since the season started that says like, Oh yeah, they they were on the right track and just, it's just too bad. They got derailed, but they, they were right there. And as soon as these guys are all back, they're going to be fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it where I think we're in agreement on that. It's, it's going to be a rough season. And I don't know that, I don't know if there's really a whole lot of faith in the general direction, even if they are doing a teardown, which it seems like it would be silly not to at this point. Um, even if they that is the plan, I, I don't know. I like, trust these guys to do it right because either they lied to us when they said they were going to try and win or they actually did try and win, and they're really that terrible at it. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm not sure which one is better. Hopefully, I guess lying to us because we get lied to all the time, right? If they knew that they were going to suck this year and they're like, okay, whatever, we'll just try to win the lottery – OK, I can't really knock them for that approach, quite honestly, um, because I you don't have. I'll tell you why I can't really. The
0: lottery odds have changed this year and the three worst teams all have the same odds. And the the distribution of ping pong balls has been severely flattened. And I think the number I saw when I was getting ready for this tonight, they have a if they finish with the worst record in the league, they have a 48 percent chance of picking number five.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll take your word for it. I don't know. I'd have to look at it. Yeah. The, um,
0: so I do know that for a fact that like the three worst teams all have a 14% chance of winning. Right. So yeah. Yeah, the, the yep. point is they, the league did not like tanking and they dramatically overcorrected. And of course, this is the first year that that goes into effect when the cabs are in the first year of a rebuild. Um, but yeah, the, this whole idea that, oh yeah, we can just lose 75 games this year and, and you know, guarantee ourselves oh, I don't know about
1: 75 day. I don't want to get that extreme well 75 <laughs> seems like a bit much
0: I yeah I agree but uh you know <laughs> we haven't even traded off the veterans yet and that's
1: coming um <laughs> yeah I think this I don't know I guess with this year the draft being so deep I don't know not deep deep at the top is that a thing can, can I I'd, I'd feel a lot better um, if I
0: knew we were in the top three maybe four
1: yeah but if you're saying there's a 48 percent chance that they're fifth right that means there's a 52 percent chance they're top four right and are we really going to say that there's a huge gap between four and five no we'll find out not really <laughs> I, yeah i mean well sure i think we're all looking everybody's all sucked into duke right now and with good reason because they're they're loaded but it feels like no one thinks anybody else on any other team is going to be any damn good either. Um which shit might be the case, but, um, no, I, I don't know. I guess if, if they're going to tear down, okay, they're fine at that. W- we know that they've always been good at losing when LeBron's not here. That's, that's never been in debate. Right. So I don't know. What, do, what do you want to see? What, do, what would you realistically want to see that from them in a, in a perfect world, in a realistic, perfect world, what would you want to see this year? Eight, see you in the playoff? What this year? Now we know that's not realistic, I right? I but... that, that <laughs> ship has sailed. <laughs> but say at the beginning of the season, when they were looking to build this team and what they what they sort of eyed as as a best case scenario, it it couldn't have been much better than that, right? Right,
0: and I th- I think that at at that point it was, you know, either you you fight and get into that eighth seed, and you give Colin Sexton a, a taste of some meaningful games. Uh, on that stage or you bottom out and make sure you get your pick and finish in the bottom 10. And I obviously at this point, that seems pretty safe. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see where it goes, but uh yeah, tomorrow night I, I I'm with you just to kind of bring this thing full circle. I, I definitely don't think this is going to be anything like the, uh, environment that we saw in 2010 i felt like that if especially if this summer was any sort of indication i think that you know going back to the summer i think everybody was kind of bummed out when lebron left but it also kind of felt like everybody went out of their way to be on their best behavior nobody wanted to be the guy uh getting put up on youtube uh burning jerseys or uh anything like that um and uh god i just i hope there's no Dumb
1: spectacles
0: at this game. Like just the best thing for the I Cavs. I don't
1: anticipate it. I also don't want that, that desperate loser running on the floor. Something yeah. like that either. I don't want anything on the other end either. We s- still have a little fucking pride. I, yeah, <laughs> like, I, I agree. <laughs> and he got profiled. I, I don't anticipate center,
0: uh Like yeah, right before LeBron came back to. Yeah, that was gross. Um, yeah, I just yeah, I, I feel like for everybody involved, this game just needs to get done with. Put it in the rear view mirror. Yeah, let, let's get this all out of our system and uh, then we could probably go put the cabs on a shelf for a while and start paying attention to Duke a lot more closely and praying that uh, the ping pong balls bounce our way again.
1: Yep. I think that's sort of, that's sort of all we have left. I don't, I honestly don't know how much of the game I'll watch tomorrow. Um, stay before Thanksgiving. I may want to go, I have myself a couple beverages, so it might be on TV there. I don't know. I'm not like, it's not must see TV for me. I don't know about you. Maybe you want to see the pregame stuff. I don't. Watch. I don't know how, how I... much are you watching the Cavs now. Are you watching every game now?
0: Um, yes. Uh, although, I, well, okay. I, I will say, in past years, I've been very vigilant about if if I can't watch it live, I'm DVRing it and making sure I see everything uh, on DVR. And I've pretty much stopped doing that now. It, for me now. It's yeah. If, if they're on and I'm available, I'll watch. Although, I, I, to be fair, like last night, I watched, I think, first half. We had a few of the guys over um, up here and uh, very quickly. Oh, thanks for the invite. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you wanted to uh, drive two and a half hours um, to play uh, an hour and a half of cards. But uh, no, we, we that very should quick... be
1: my decision to make, Tino
0: all right well will, my
1: decision to make you don't I tell will, me where i don't want to drive
0: that's you're right <laughs> but i will duly noted for next time but uh <laughs> at uh yeah we we had very little trouble flipping over to uh, monday night football and uh my god what a game that was oh that was fun
1: what um do you, you don't want to see that like as fun as that was that'll get old right like you don't want to see that every game
0: no, I, I, that's that's why it was fun. Is because you don't get that every game. Um, otherwise, you you just become the Big Twelve. But um, yeah, for for one night at the NFL level, yeah, that that was pretty great. I uh, I enjoyed that um, back and forth. But I, I will say the one thing: can we finally retire the uh, metaphor of every single competitive? back and forth sports game being a heavyweight title fight like why is that like what when did heavyweight boxing matches become like the gold standard for comparisons for like every competitive sporting event and, and tessator dropped it last night and i'm just and he actually like calls boxing so maybe i'll give him a pass but like that that has become the most worn out cliche i feel like in broadcasting
1: yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that you'll get it. You'll ever be able to eliminate <laughs> it, but... Sorry, I
0: just had to get up on my soapbox here and... Uh, yeah, fair enough. Air it out. You, it you know point. what I will
1: say stood out to me the most? After the game, I don't know that I've ever seen a team as excited as the Rams were after they won for, like, a middle-of-the-season, like, regular-season game that, grand scheme, they're going to make the playoffs no matter what. Like, they're in, they're going to be a high seed, probably they're going to get to buy a really good team. They were, like... Going insane celebrating that game. Which I mean that was pretty cool. I mean, the fact they got that into it is pretty cool. That was
0: I, mean, I was on, a little surprised that, that, that by That was that was an all-time regular season NFL game. You know, oh, yeah. you take away the stakes oh, yeah. of the playoffs, I mean, if you're just looking at regular season games, and I know I'm probably prisoner of the moment, but that's one of those games that when Monday Night Football's celebrating its 50th anniversary, uh eight or nine years from now, or whatever it is. And and they're doing their you know retrospective you know back in the day you know memorable games that'll be on every list and every highlight package for you know now until the end of time.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was bizarre because there was twice in the last like three minutes where you watched and a team scored go ahead touchdown. You're like, I oh, left them too much time. I just kept doing the like mental math. They left the they... one time, the Rams scored again. I'm like, oh, you like the Rams? I think got the ball with like three ish minutes left. Yeah. Kansas City took the lead with like right around three minutes left. And you're like, oh, you left way too much time. And then the Rams scored with like a minute and a half left. And you're like, oh, still left too much time. Like, how does this happen?
0: That was the whole thing. I watched the entire probably last eight minutes of that game, constantly doing the mental math on how can this game get to overtime? What what's the combination of scores we need to have this? <laughs> and uh and regulation and a tie because i don't want this game to end i want this to keep going i want more football um didn't get it but
1: it was funny (laughs) yeah as entertaining as you'll get out of a regular season i mean as entertaining as you'll get just from a standpoint of the game itself if you ignore context and don't care about you know obviously tight playoff games would be more uh tense and whatnot but pretty awesome game all around ton of fun to watch the one thing i thought was funny after the game when i commented this i saw on twitter someone's like it's the first game ever where two teams scored 50 points um before this teams scoring 50 points were undefeated and i don't remember what the other one was but it was like four things that all said the same thing it's like yeah if no two teams have ever scored 50 of course every other team that scored 50 was undefeated because because no one else also scored 50 like someone tried to make it into this big like to this big like list of like circumstances that are all kind of crazy i'm like those are all the same thing like like, all of these things you think are like connected to each other they're not connected they are the same you're just saying it a different way
0: i think that game just kind of broke people's brains a little bit that's that's not what you're expecting in the the national football
1: league but uh, no for sure and especially like and a lot of people were like you know I want to see more defense there's three picks from Mahomes they sacked Goff five times like there was a little bit of defense there was just a ton more offense yeah yeah that, i that, think, that what, I think there might have been how many defensive touchdowns were there i think there might have been three right yeah. i know mahomes what threw pick six i think goff had that one fumble that one right. for a touchdown um I don't know. There might have been one more in there. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look, but, um, I can't it was believe we like, lose track it, it, of all the
0: touchdowns in that game. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, one, so two, actually two touchdowns. Uh, three. Yeah. Three defensive touchdowns. Um, wow. Two of them were scored by the same guy on the Rams. Um, so yeah, it's not like the defense wasn't making plays. It was just that, you know, the offense made a ton of plays.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know, man. I I think that's probably a good place to stop. What do you say?
1: All right, yeah, wrap it up.
0: All right, uh, our thanks again to Bill Bender of the Sporting News for joining us in the first half of this one to talk about Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, Check out Bill on uh, the Sporting News website. I think he's on Twitter at uh, BillBender92. Um, As for us, we are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Uh, make sure you leave us a review if you haven't done so already on uh, either of those platforms. Uh, we're also on uh, the tune in app and stitcher and you could stream us on waitingfornextyear.com next And uh, that will do it for us for this week. So for Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin and we'll talk to you soon.